Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. This is your host, Juliet Lamar, and joining me today... I have Leah Kellen Butler. She is the co-founder and chief impact officer at Intimate. Welcome, Leah. So good to have you. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you go ahead and start us off with giving us an overview about Intimate and what you guys do there. Yeah, sure. So at Intimate, we're a cryptocurrency that is designed for the adult industry. Uh, We've got a very broad definition of the adult industry. It could be anything from, say, adult content online, like live camming or pornography. It could be um, purchasing a novelty or a pleasure product online. It could be booking a Japanese love hotel. It could be going on a date on Tinder or Grindr or an app like that. So um, the way that we view the industry is very, very broad. Um, But what all of these entities have in common is, firstly, an issue with payments. Um, financial institutions will not deal with any kind of business that has anything to do with adults. So they find it incredibly difficult to get banked and to access very basic payment processing services. Um, but also the establishment, the establishment of trust. Um, there's big issues with trust and safety in this industry. So the crypto that we have launched is designed to solve those problems. Wow. And so where where do you kind of see yourself going if you're already here in this area what are some of the the future goals that you have with intimate future goals well i mean low-hanging fruit for us is just solving the payments issue um there's the huge 
issue here with um, people who want to be able to access really basic banking products and financial services and can't do so because of moral bias. Um, and I don't know about you, but I certainly did not make the bank's moral arbiter of our society. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify, um, the businesses that we deal with are perfectly legal tax-paying entities. So they're not doing anything wrong. Um, they're, you know, they're contributing to society. They're doing good things for people's lives. But um, banks decide that they're somehow dirty or sleazy or morally wrong and uh, won't deal with them. So... That's something that we can um, solve with decentralization. I guess the, the future for us is really uh, looking at how we trust people, who we trust, why we trust them, and how we establish that relationship. So for us, um, the adult industry is purely the industry with the biggest pain point at the moment um, with th these kind of issues around people wanting to be able to transact privately but also needing to do it safely and in a trustworthy manner. Um, we kind of see the, the adult industry like a, like a test bed for the future of trust. Um, and, you know, those kind of concepts will apply to all sorts of in the future. Absolutely. And, and going back to how you're saying there's this stigmatism, because, like, take, for example, Nevada, right? So their yeah. prostitution is legal. And in so many ways, it is better because they, the people working in that industry are able to have access to healthcare, access to... Uh, security and safety, where if somewhere is is still trying to operate and they're still putting this negative stigmatism on something, you're just asking for not necessarily bad things, but you're asking for things that are not kosher to happen. You're you're setting yourself up for failure, really, and and get, putting a positive light on it, and saying this is going to happen. Let's just regulate it. Is a great way to keep the industry safe. Yeah, you you are so right. Um, we often advocate for the decriminalisation of sex work worldwide because I mean, we're talking about the oldest industry in the world, mm -hmm. um, and you know it's a basic human need. Um, it does happen. We are of the firm belief that it makes a lot more sense to shed light on this industry, um, make it a safe place where people are respected and empowered to do their work. I mean, personally, this is just my personal opinion, but I don't really care what kind of work people do, provided that um, it's, it's safe and ethical. Um, but the main thing is to ensure that they have the same rights and protection when they go to work as any other worker. Um, at the moment, that's just not the case. Um, in places where sex work is uh, criminalised, it still happens, but people are forced to do their work in the shadows. And I think the moment that you make something an illegitimate criminal activity, um, it, it makes you an outlaw in society, essentially. Um, and that ends up being coupled with other criminal activities. Um, I guess to take that a little bit further, though, because, I mean, a lot of the time people just think about these kind of activities, about whether they're criminal or not criminal. Um, and I really think that's actually not enough because... Take, so you mentioned Nevada, for example. Um, I'm from Australia. If we take that, for example, um, the state that I grew up in, New South Wales, sex work is completely decriminalised. They've got some of the best laws in the world for sex workers. But from a social perspective, sex workers who are registered subject to stigma and social exclusion. And this isn't just, you know, personal opinions of people in society, um, you know, um, weighing down their opinions on people. It's the fact that they can't get banked. 
you know, they have to lie to the bank manager about what they do. They'll say they're a massage therapist or something so that they can actually get an account. Um, once they are lucky enough to get a bank account, if it's with a mainstream bank and they find out what they really do, they'll become accustomed to having their accounts frozen, um, unable to access their own money, um, or perhaps they'll have to go with a peripheral financial institution which will charge them exorbitant fees. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. And um, we've got this issue in society where we don't actually have a framework to be able to say, right, you know, somebody over here is doing completely ethical, consensual, voluntary work, um, and we can say they're a good actor within society. But then, you know, we can't shy away from the fact that there are some awful things happening in this industry as well um, in terms of terrible atrocities such as human trafficking and child sex rings. The problem at the moment is we don't actually have an adequate framework to be able to separate the two and distinguish the difference. Um, and that makes, I think, two problems. Firstly, it makes a terrible environment for people to work in when they are just, you know, completely good actors within society. But secondly, it takes up the uh, resources and the effort and the time of the law enforcers that could be going after people who actually need to be chased, um, you know, not just someone who's trying to put food on the table and, you know, they're doing just an everyday job like anyone, anyone else. Um, you know, often because we don't have that framework to distinguish between the two, that that effort is being poorly allocated to the people who are just trying to get about their daily business. Well, absolutely. And, you know, people people don't see this as an issue that they want to solve because, like you said, it's stigmatized. So even even standing up for the rights of these workers is like, well, okay, so now, you, now you're promoting sex. Well, you know, there's industries that, that promote all kinds of things that to somebody might be negative you know if it's the if it's gun laws or if it's you know any kind of controversial issue but for some reason sex and intimacy is something that almost every person experiences and is involved in but yet we can't talk about it and it's it's kind of absurd <laughs> yeah you're exactly right i mean there's two things i'd love to unpack there firstly that idea um about what's wrong and how that can evolve <laughs> a great case study for that right now is the cannabis industry absolutely <laughs> i mean that's you know in california now obviously it's completely legal to consume marijuana recreationally um, and now we've got this flourishing profitable industry but even they i mean crypto is often talked about um, in the realm of cannabis because uh, it has some really interesting issues now with banking as well where for example if you're going to go into a pot shop you'll probably be required to pay in cash because even though the shop is completely legal from a state perspective they can't get banked because the bank is governed from a federal perspective and thus they can't provide services to this business because in another state it would be deemed illegal which um you know it's just interesting to see how attitudes and even laws change over time um the second piece that you mentioned uh about having a sex positive conversation this is something that we are so passionate about because as you said, um, sex is something that becomes a part of every single one of our lives in some way at some point in our life. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for sex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, my background is that I've, I've worked on social impact um, for a long time and I've also worked on a lot of gender equality or gender inequality issues also. That women's relationship with sex and the way that we're brought up to understand our own sexuality um, is really representative of a lot of issues that are going on in society. So 
I guess the way that um, women hold themselves and, and treat themselves in everything from the workplace to relationships to when they interact with their family and friends through to how they negotiate for a pay rise. Um, I really feel like a lot of these issues, they're quite complex and deep and it starts very early um, from, you know, when people are very little and they're told what's wrong and right, what is taboo and what's not. Um, and sex, unfortunately, is something that becomes bad and naughty and something that we're not really, you know, if we're good little girls, we're not really going to talk about it in an open setting, are we? Um, so it's, it's something that we need to kind of break down those barriers and uh, make safe spaces for people to be able to come and, um, um, and experience those things in a, a healthy way. But I mean, one of the ways that Intimate does this, because I guess a lot of people would be thinking, you know, what does having a sex positive conversation have to do with crypto? <laughs> um, <laughs> we, it has everything to do with crypto because crypto has that amazing ability to be able to give people a certain level of privacy. Um, and with Intimate, what, what we actually implement is a pseudonymous reputation system. Um, and what that allows people to do is go and interact with an ecosystem of adult products and services, but without having to link their profile to their actual uh, real-world identity. Now, let me just explain that a little bit because it's important. Um, now, we, your profile, for example, you might set up a pseudonym for yourself, make up um, a fake name, but um, it's still linked to a reputation system, just like in the way that if you were going to go and use Uber or Airbnb or eBay, you would act and treat others well, um, and I, I guess uh, act to a certain behavioural benchmark for others in order to keep your place on that network. And yeah, sure, if you're if you're a bad person, then you could go and create a new profile. But you know, having no reputation is almost as bad as having bad reputation. Mm -hmm. um, so. This allows people to go and interact with others under a pseudonym, but still do it safely and reputably. The other thing that they can do is um, interact with off-chain oracles, such as, you know, you could have your ID verified offline, you might have um, your sexually transmitted infection health records verified off-chain, off um, and have this kind of information applied to your pseudonym so that you can show people that you have this kind of information attached to your profile without having to reveal the private details of those documents. Um, so, you know, you might want to share with me that you've had your ID verified by an oracle that we both trust. So we don't have to share the information with each other, but we can trust that the oracle knows that we are who we say we are. Anyway, the, the whole point of that, I guess, is that, um, it just allows people to go and be able to interact within this space without the fear of being found out or being judged. Um, and I mean, that's not, a lot of people just say, oh, what are you trying to do? You're just trying to, um, you know, help guys hide from their wife that they've been watching porn online or something. I mean, I believe that everyone has a right to data privacy. So yeah, absolutely. If people mm. want to be able to watch adult content in privacy, I think they should be allowed. But it's also, um, you know, I was talking with someone who's a sex educator and she lives in New York. Um, and she specialises in sex education for communities of colour. And she was telling me how important privacy is for people in those communities because they send, tend to be so tight-knit lives. And a lot of the time, people will not reach out to get life-changing or potentially life-saving information for the fear of being found out. So 
privacy really is important to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Um, and part of it is being able to start driving that sex positive conversation and providing a place for people where it's okay to participate without fear. And that's such a good point, participation without fear, because if we don't have privacy, you're never going to be able to, to be your true self and even find your true self because you're not allowed the space to do so. Totally. And I think we see that with so many different communities. Like I think um, people are aware of it with, say, trans communities and also gay communities with very much an open dialogue about, you know, what it means for me to come out and share my real self with the world. Um, but I think everyone is having these kind of internal battles. You know, it could even be, for example, um, you know, a couple that's been married for a long time, or perhaps they've even only been together for a year, and they struggle to be able to talk with their partner about what their sexual desires are for fear of being judged or being made fun of or maybe disappointing the other person, whatever reason it might be. Um, people need these places where they can actually start having uh, more constructive and safe conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you shame people, because it is shaming, and when you, when you shame people into some way, you know, they're more likely to do, to do things that are, that are harmful to themselves or others because they feel, like you said, criminalized or outlawed and that if you don't have support, then why would you try to operate within a law system that is beneficial to other people? There's no reason to you. There's no benefit to you because you've been out outlawed and criminalized. Yeah, that is, um, I think, probably the most important point in all this because one of the most common questions I get is this just a sex coin and why do we need another token? Why can't you just use Bitcoin or Zcash or Monero or Dash? Just use any old privacy coin. <clears throat> I mean, the answer is, yes, you could, and, and people already are using those coins to purchase these types of products and services, particularly things that um, are happening within the shadows of society because those transactions are designed to be hidden. Um, that's not what Intimate is designed to do. Intimate is designed for um, privacy, but certainly not anonymity. It's designed to be a transparent system where people actually get a reward for being good actors on the network. I mean, at the moment, the ultimate privacy coin is called hard fear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> cover your tracks in the sex industry, you'll just use cash. Um, but there, there is nothing. Like, I, I mean, I often liken it to what Uber did uh, to transform the personal transport experience for people. I mean, there wasn't any way for taxi drivers to be recognised or rewarded for their good behaviour. So generally, the experience sucked for most people. Exactly. <laughs> but, Uber comes in and now suddenly, I mean, we're, we're used to jumping in the car and someone offers you a bottle of water, what would you like to listen to on the radio, uh, you know, how's your day? And it's this great experience for both involved. And the only thing that's changed is that there is a reputation system attached to the transaction. So if anyone doesn't actually meet that benchmark of, you know, whatever the, the bottom of it is, like 4.5 stars, for example, well, they might lose their job because they're actually, maybe they shouldn't be in that job. Maybe they're not cut out for customer service. Or if you're a rider that um, can't be trusted to jump in someone else's car and be a, a trusted person, well, yeah, maybe you should get kicked off the network. So even though that's a negative way of explaining it, the result has been overwhelmingly positive um, because now everybody fits with each other very well and that is that your reputation is improved. 
And it's something that we do naturally as humans. We have a ranking system in our heads. You know, you meet people every day and whether you want to or not in your head, you're ranking them as, oh, that person was very friendly or nice. Oh, oh, that person wasn't really attuned to my needs. So we're already doing this. It's just now we can share our internal information with others in order for them to make informed decisions. Yeah, and that's a good analogy, actually, because um, the internet reputation system is decentralized. So unlike, say, I've been using Uber for years and years, and I've got a 4.9 star rating, um, but I'm just about to go on my first overseas holiday, and I want to stay in an Airbnb property, I can't pick up my Uber rating and transport it to Airbnb, because all of these reputations are decentralized. Um, what Intimate's designed to do is be a reputation system which is industry-wide. So you can transport it between different products and services. And it's not just a simple rating system. It's, it's subjective, more like an Airbnb system where you actually provide feedback on others. Um, and I think the really exciting thing about this from an algorithmic perspective is that it's actually a web of trust. So it's not that you would just jump on there and see, you know, whoever's got the best feedback across the world. It's really that, um, you know, three degrees of separation where you can see who are the people around me who have actually interacted with people that either I know or perhaps my friends of friends of friends know them. Mm -hmm. So the, the reputation actually becomes much more relevant to you and your life and um, how closely people have, I guess, touched your life in one way or another. So it becomes a web of trust that is um, it's relevant to you and the way that you would make decisions about how you trust other people, not how someone... No, absolutely. And I, I, always, I often wish that we could transfer our Uber ratings and our Airbnb ratings to another service. That's, that's <laughs> a problem, and I'm glad you guys are solving it. Well, it's, it's got interesting applications as well. I mean, like at the moment, um, you know, year one of our roadmap, um, there's some pretty basic problems to be solved in this industry. As I mentioned before, things like payments. Um, not only is it very difficult for business operators to get safe, secure, reliable, affordable services from financial institutions, payments are also broken in this industry. You know, if you think about it, um, the stats around the porn industry are pretty phenomenal because um, I think the conservative figure I heard was around 30 to 35% of all internet traffic goes to porn, <laughs> but no one pays for it. Yes. So very little people actually pay for it. And if you start to delve into this, it's usually because, well, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, you know, why should I? I don't have to, so I won't. But people said that about music not very long ago. And then iTunes, Spotify, um, even other services later like Netflix came in and made it a, a beautiful, seamless, tailored experience. Now we think nothing of paying for our subscriptions. So there is an opportunity to be able to fix payments in that space and revolutionize the sector. Um, but the other thing is, again, it's just privacy. Like most people don't want to put their credit card into some porn site or even a live campsite because they don't want it showing up on their credit card bill. Um, so that's, that's the really easy stuff for us to fix. But I think it all begins with payments. And once we have that global ecosystem of people who are exchanging goods and services within that adult space, that's when the reputation system really starts to kick in. And I think personally for me, um, what I'm really excited about is when we see this reputation system applied to non-monetary sectors. So things like and Happen and Bumble. And um, I mean, at the moment, when if they go to a meet, <clears throat> a boy or a girl um, in a public place, 
I mean, I, I hope they meet in public places because really at the moment, the <coughs> excuse me, the only thing that they have to establish a sense of trust is if that person has a nice looking face in their, in their picture and, you know, did they sound okay when they were texting via the app? I mean, to me, that's just not enough. It's not no, enough. scary. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, how do you even know that that person is who they say they are? How do you know, like, at best, hopefully they're just catfishing. At worst, you know, they could be a really awful person who is trying to lure a vulnerable person into a, um, you know, a terrible situation. Um, you know, our, our world is becoming more and more online and we need more effective ways to be able to establish trust. I mean, you know, we can learn a lot from the sex work industry, actually, I think, um, as we apply it to online dating. I was just doing a, um, a focus group with some escorts in the UK um, a couple of months ago and I said to them, you know, if you're going to meet um, somebody new and you'll exchange sex for cash, how do you protect yourself, make sure that you're safe and establish that trust in the first instance? And um, one of the escorts said to me, uh, she said, you know, I've been in this industry for about seven years and um, when I first started, yeah, I did get myself into some dangerous situations, but after a while you figure it out. I said, what do you mean you figure it out? She said, oh, well, you know, you just, you just learn how to tell. And I said, well, how do you tell? And she said, well, I'll usually um, talk to them on the phone. You know, always talk to them on the phone first and, you know, you can just, you can tell straight away. And I'm like, hang on, your trust mechanism, like the way that you make sure that you're not going to get bashed or killed or robbed or is the sound of someone's voice. And she said, yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's usually pretty good. And I just thought, you know, in an incredibly digital world, we need a better mechanism for trust. And it's not just for sex workers, it's for anyone who is interacting online in any way. Uh, I mean, like, even if you're going to go and order your food and, you know, someone's going to turn up at your door and you're going to open your front door and take a food delivery. I mean, we, we just need um, a better system for establishing and protecting and maintaining trust. Um, and that's, I think, going to be the really world-changing um, uh, system um, if, if it's successful. Absolutely. And, and I agree 100%. And it, Going way back in our conversation, just last night we were having a, a conversation about how uh, prostitution is, is legal, has been legal in Nevada for so long, but they only recently decriminalized marijuana and made that legal. And we thought that was so funny. Oh, yes, you can, you can go there for sex, but don't you dare smoke a joint in, Mar in uh, Nevada. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like you said before, it's, I think it makes a lot more sense to actually bring these um, professions or products or services or whatever it might be Bring them out of the shadows, mm -hmm. you know, regulate them so that they can be safe, um, ensure that people are protected, both service providers and consumers. And you know what? Tax them. Make money out of it. Like, I've never quite understood why the government is so opposed to industries that um, represent products and services that people want and will pay very good money for. Um, so in the best case scenario, I think there's an opportunity to um, actually make this industry profitable for all the right reasons. Uh, yeah, 100%. You know, you support the industries and they will become better and they will make you money. <laughs> Bottom yeah, line. Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's a tough climate at the moment, particularly in the US. We've seen um, new laws come out, the Foster-Sesta um, debacle. I'm not sure if you've been following that, but essentially um, it's, it's resulted in the 
completely deleted um, their forums that have anything to do with sex work um, because essentially the platforms no longer have immunity uh, for their user-generated content. So if there's someone in a forum um, posting imagery or, or um, any kind of content at all, actually, that could be related to sex work, um, which is essentially within this law conflated with human trafficking. Human trafficking. So they're just that's the first problem. They're saying it's all the same thing. Um, but uh, yeah, there's no immunity. So if it's found out that there's someone on that forum that has um, illegal ties, the forum itself or the business operator has actually become liable, and that has. I mean, essentially, the businesses have just gone all out. That's um, too big a risk. I'm just going to completely delete the forums and put a muzzle um, on the conversations that are happening. And I guess the problem with that is that um, sex workers in the US are now more invisible than they have been since the dawn of the internet. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you can't shut down um, sex work on the internet and expect the industry to die. It will continue to thrive, but I believe that the the workers will become more vulnerable and, dare I say it, they are the ones who are at risk of dying, not the businesses. So um, it's it's quite frightening to see what's happening um, in this space and I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, rather than trying to drive it back into the shadows, we should bring it out and talk about it, regulate it, make it safe. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a long way to go. Unfortunately, I don't think our world is a very progressive place right now. Yeah, I echo that as well. Um... And if, if they brought it out of the shadows and out of the light, then it would be less profitable to be illegal. I mean, if you look at like the cannabis industry, yeah. the price of you know it on the street is dropping because why would I buy it on the street if I can just go get it in a store? And we would cut down on, tra- on child pornography and child trafficking and, and all of this simply by bringing it out of the shadows. It, it would solve a lot of problems. And we've already seen it working with cannabis. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it has funny ripple effects. Um, the moment that things are deemed okay by society, well, you start having very different types of conversations around the dinner table or between friends. Um, it, it makes it suddenly okay for people to talk about it. And I think, um, you know, I'd like to be part of a world in the future where people aren't afraid to discuss their sex lives and talk about how they feel, what they want, um, what they don't want. Um, we, we need more constructive conversations like that happening. And until we address this issue that society has around discussing um, sex work um, and, the, and essentially what we do behind closed doors, we, it, it's just never going to be um, a constructive discussion, unfortunately. So I hope that we can impact that in, um, in some way. I think we're doing a good job, but um, it's something that we're committed to over the long term. Absolutely. And it's good to have people who are fighting for it and who are not going to take no for an answer. So really, thank you for taking on this monumental task. <laughs> oh, no. Well, thank you for inviting me to talk about it. Um, it's, you know, I, I've never worked on uh, a project in my life where I thought it could have such immediate real impact on real people's lives. And um, that's what's important to me. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, if you're so passionate about social impact, why don't you go and work um, in, you know, on just a gender equality movement or say go and join the sustainability industry? My answer is I've actually worked in all of those jobs before. Um, <laughs> this is somewhere I found that um, there's, there's not a lot of people in the corporate world leading the charge to actually stand 
it's a great opportunity to um, change the world. So that's why I'm passionate about it and uh, the rest of my team are too. So give us, in, in conclusion here, give us a little bit uh, of insight into how to connect with the Intimate team, how to get involved and start using this service. Yeah, okay. So our, in, uh, sorry, our, our website is intimate.io. Um, you can go there and find out um, all about us. We've got loads of video content there. Um, and uh, our white paper as well. We've got three versions of the white paper. The full version is 47 pages. So, um, you know, obviously just a light read. <laughs> um, but we've also got a 17-pager and a one-pager. So, you know, if you're just looking for a bit of an overview and you don't want to get straight into the tokenomics, you can download that. Um, we've got a token sale happening right now. Unfortunately, it's not available to non-accredited US um, investors um, due to SEC regulations. But you can, if you do want to find out about it, you can go to get.intimate.io. Um, that's the only way that you'll be able to buy um, Intimate tokens during the Blitz sale. So that's open until the 7th of June. Um, but if anyone's got any specific questions, I would most welcome them to uh, reach out directly. My email is leah, L-E-A-H, at intimate.io. Um, and more than happy to chat to anyone who's got specific questions, whether it's about um, our token itself or the industry that we serve uh, or the people that we work with. Very happy to chat. Leah, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a very fun and insightful conversation. Thank you, Juliet. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. That is Leah Kellen Butler. She is the co-founder and chief impact officer at Intimate. Check them out. Really exciting stuff. Thank you all for tuning into Future Tech Podcast. This has been Juliet Lamar. We'll catch you later. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast 
supposed to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.